Yama. I'm your host, Mari Pakai, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Wednesday, 10th of January. Coming up on today's show, NITV Radio chats with Borloo, Perth-based artist J.D. Penanga. Jade shares her exciting new venture in launching her first ever solo exhibition, Boy Biddy Smoke Trails, as well as her journey into the art scene in Western Australia. And we share a few stories from our NITV news team, Summer Yarns series with deadly stories from 2023. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, arrests have been made in the Northern Territory in relation to a suspicious death of a 19-year-old on New Year's Day. Queensland aircraft crash survivors have been discharged from hospital, apart from the pilot who remains under care. And 13 cars have been seized in the ACT at Summer Nats Car Festival that police have dubbed Moron Tourism. Northern Territory Police have arrested three men in Alice Springs in relation to a suspicious death of a 19-year-old. The body of Yael Deng Gutluck was found along the dirt road on New Year's Day. A 21-year-old, a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old were taken into custody. Police believe the victim was known to those arrested. Assistant Commissioner Travis Worst says the investigation remains ongoing. So we're investigating a homicide, so the death of a person. Uh, Charges will be laid in due course. I cannot give you a definitive timeline. Northern Territory Police say they are providing support to the deceased's family based in Melbourne who yesterday spoke with Northern Territory Chief Minister in Alice Springs. Hundreds of jobs are expected to be lost in Western Australia after Alcoa announced it will close a 60-year-old refinery. The aluminium giant had revealed operating costs and market conditions were behind the decision. Production will be phased out during the second quarter of the year with around 800 employees and 250 contractors likely to be affected. The federal government has expressed disappointment in this decision. A policewoman has been mauled by a dog whilst making an arrest in Perth. The officer suffered multiple wounds to her leg and hand in the incident at the house in Perth's northeastern suburbs. Another officer shot and killed the animal. The dog was not owned by the man in his 30s who was being arrested. An investigation is going in the incident. Flood-hit residents in southeast Queensland are being warned 
to brace themselves for additional storms and heavy rain today. The Bureau of Meteorology predicts severe thunderstorms and downpours through the day for sections of the southeast interior, Claremont in central Queensland and Hewden in states northwest. The agency issued a moderate flood warning for the Peru River in the state's southwest, as well as minor flooding warnings for the Baku, Bulu and Dawson Rivers. It comes as troops are set to be deployed to far north Queensland as the region recovers from record flooding caused by tropical cyclone Jasper. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has pledged Australian to force our defence force support for the devastated area with another announcement expected on Tuesday. The $50 million help package will help include tourism recovery initiatives as well as clean-up programs in the hardest-hit areas, target local resilience and recovery in those areas. Victorian communities remain under threat from floodwaters, with more homes expected to be inundated within the next 24 hours. Emergency warnings have been downgraded, but it is still not safe for residents to return to Seymour in the north of Melbourne, where at least 20 homes were flooded. Several more houses and businesses suffered flood damage and say it's now too late to leave Yay, northeast of Melbourne. The state was poised to remain mostly dry today, but the flooding emergency was expected to shift towards Marupna and Shepparton before heading down to Yachuka. Everyone on board a flight that crashed on far north Queensland Island have now been discharged from hospital, except the pilot. Ten people, including the pilot, were transported to hospital after the plane flipped over at a luxury holiday destination, Lizard Island, 240 kilometres north of Cairns, around 7.30 on Monday. A statement from Queensland Health said all 10 people on board were in stable condition. The aircraft had reportedly taken off for Cairns but returned to the island 10 minutes later due to mechanical trouble and it's believed the plane clipped trees before coming to rest upside down while attempting to land on the island's small airstrip. Assistant Commissioner Brina Keating acknowledged the bravery of the pilot when she spoke to Channel 9. It was quite a calm scene. Uh, they were all undercover. They were taken well care of. And I just want to acknowledge the, uh, the Lizard Island first responders and all the staff there that uh, you know, prepared for us when we arrived. And um, they did a fantastic job. And that pilot, uh, he did uh, a fantastic um, job in just keeping those people alive. The Australian Transport Safety Bureau is investigating the incident. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has defended the federal government's efforts in housing, saying it's doing all it can to improve rental conditions. It comes after data released Tuesday suggests the average rental has increased in cost by 11.5% compared to last year. The Prop Track Market Insight report has found rental prices increased 1.8% over the December quarter to a national average of $580 per week.
Mr Albanese says it's not a quick fix. There's no easy solution. You need to build supply. And that's why we're investing in public housing, again, uh, opposed by the coalition. Uh, that's why uh, we have the incentive that's there for private rent to build, uh, build to rent uh, that was included in our budget of last May. And that's why we'll continue uh, to work with uh, the private sector as well. The Federal Police are appealing for a global public assistance to find one of Australia's most wanted men. James Delamangas is wanted over the fatal stabbing of a Sydney man, George Giannopoulos, at a nightclub in Belmore in 1999 before its alleged fled to Greece. The next day, a warrant was issued for Mr Delamangas' arrest, but he was never located and it's believed he's still living in Greece. Detective Superintendent Grant Taylor says they're hoping large financial reward will encourage anyone with information to come forward. Time is now of the essence. We believe that someone in Greece would know where Dalamengus is living or working. We wish those people who may know that information to come forward and tell the authorities. We also wish to remind uh, the people in Greece, that there is a $200,000 reward for any information to identify where Dalamangus may be and assist us with his arrest. That money is also available for anyone internationally as well as in Australia. Thousands of mourners in South Lebanon paid their last respects at a funeral of Hezbollah commander Wissam Tawil on Tuesday. Mr Tawil and another Hezbollah fighter were killed by an Israeli missile when the car they were in was struck in the village of Majal Salam. Wazil al-Tawil was the deputy head of the unit within Hezbollah's elite Radwin force, and his death has sparked fears of a wider war. A woman at the funeral who identified herself as the mother of the martyr, her son, Hani Tawil, says they will not back down in the fight. We send a message first to the enemy, not to think that if they commit massacres and if we have martyrs, we'll be afraid and scared. We are people who hold the slogan, what a mistake. Don't think at all that what they're doing will affect us at all. What they're doing is just a reaction and anger as a result of the painful blows from the resistance. Thank God. The youngest and first openly gay person has been appointed as the new Prime Minister of France. 34-year-old Gabriel Attal succeeded Elizabeth Bourne, who resigned on Monday following political turmoil over an immigration law that strengthens the government's ability to deport foreigners. During the handover, Mr Attal who was previously France's education minister, promised to strengthen public services, including schools and the healthcare system, during his time as prime minister. 
With the President of the Republic, I would have one objective, to keep control of our destiny and release our French potential. Keeping control of our destiny means fighting to control our social model. It means acting for solidarity between French people. It means assuming responsibility for making authority and respect for others a top political value and making security an absolute priority. ACT police have condemned drivers for what they described as moron tourism at one of Australia's premier car festivals. Police seized 13 cars, including a Holden Commodore, for doing a burnout media from uh, pedestrians at the Summer Nats Car Festival. The 22-year-old behind the wheel was suspended from driving in the Territory for three months. Police said two children and two adult passengers were also allegedly in the car during the manoeuvre. Acting Inspector Mark Richardson addressed the incident. The behaviour of these drivers, I mean, they just haven't evolved very far. Um, I think they've really plateaued as a as a, a species, a subspecies of the human race. I don't know what goes through their mind. Police are investigating other incidences tied to the event. The World Bank has warned that global growth in 2024 would slow down for the third year in a row, prolonging poverty and destabilising debt levels in many developing countries. The institution says the first half of the 2020s appears to be the poorest half-decade performance in 30 years. Hampered by the COVID-19 epidemic, the war in Ukraine and the resulting global surges in prices and interest rates. The World Bank's newest global economic prospects study predicts the global GDP would expand by 2.4% this year. That compares to 2.6% in 2023 and 3% in 2022 and 6.2% in 2021 when there was a recovery after the pandemic ended. The nation's two most populous states are recorded to have a spike in COVID-19 infections driven by Christmas and New Year celebrations. The emerging JN1 variant is what is spreading. New South Wales health spokesman Jeremy McAulty says there hasn't been this many people getting COVID in about a year. The JN1 variant is more resistant to previous immunity or vaccination, although it's not necessarily more infectious. Health authorities are urging the public to get up to date on their COVID vaccinations. As workplaces try to tempt or force employees back into the office in the new year, experts warn flexible working arrangements are here to stay. Many organisations are offering monetary bonuses or enforcing penalties to increase days worked in the office after widespread working from home during COVID-19 pandemic. But Senior Lecturer of Business Administration at RMIT University, Melissa Wheeler, says flexible working arrangements have allowed many more people to participate in the workforce. She says the trend is here to stay in 2024 and employers who don't adapt will see their workers go elsewhere. Flexible work arrangements can mean so many things. 
Um, probably the most common thing that people think about is remote working or working from home, but it can also be things like flexi time, compressed schedules, um, job sharing, and many more options. Flexible work, in my opinion, is only limited by the creativity that we are willing to accept what it could look like. Former Labor Minister Craig Emerson has been appointed to lead a national review into Australia's supermarket sector amid soaring, soaring grocery prices. The review will examine the relationship supermarkets have with suppliers amid growing questions around the gap between what they are paying suppliers and what customers are having to pay. The recommendations from this review are expected by the middle of the year. A Senate inquiry into supermarket prices to consumers is expected later on in the year. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says supermarkets had a duty to make sure they are providing affordable options for all Australians, especially when they're making savings on their own costs. And in sport, Australia's Tennis, uh, Jordan Thompson, Alex Bolt and Christopher O'Neill, O'Connell have record first round wins at the Adelaide International. The wins come after local hero Thanasi Kokonasis opening night defeat to Serbian Dushan Lajovic. Mr Thompson, who last week beat Rafael Nadal in Brisbane, had fewer issues winning against Argentinian left-hander Fashudo Diaz-Acosta in 6-2, 6-2 on Tuesday. South Australian left-hander Alex Bolt beat former US Open junior singles champion Tiago Sabath-Wild with 6-3, 6-2. And Sydney wildcard O'Connell won against French qualifier qualifier Arthur Rindaneshk at 6464 and now tomorrow's or today's weather is on Wednesday is Broome is at sunny 37 Perth is sunny at 33 Adelaide is mostly sunny at 27 Melbourne is partly cloudy at 25 Hobart is partly cloudy at 25 Albury-Wodonga is mostly sunny at 33. Canberra is similar at 30. Wollongong is also sunny at 27. Sydney is partly cloudy at 29. Newcastle is similar conditions at 29. Townsville has showers at 33. Brisbane is a shower or two at 31. Cairns is showers at 31. Alice Springs is sunny at 39. Darwin is showers and possible storm at 32. And the Torres Strait Islanders are a shower or two at 33. Welcome. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, artist Jade Dolman, known by her artist name, J.D. Penanga, talks with NITV about her upcoming solo exhibition, Boy Biddy, as well as the murals, installations and collaborations she's worked on. But first, let's take a look at some of the stories from NITV News team Summer Yarns series, sharing deadly stories from 2023. (music) 
a student in Borloo, Perth, defied more than a century of history to become the first Aboriginal captain of Guildford Grammar, one of the city's oldest and most prestigious schools. And the 17-year-old Lamana Valentine hopes she can be a role model for other First Nations students. Creating history through her own story. Lamana Valentine always dreamed of becoming a school captain. Year five, I was like, oh, I could really do this. Um, But it was definitely on my conscience that I wanted to do something great at the school and, like, try and achieve something that I'd be proud of and leave a legacy. Never in the 127-year history of the school has anyone achieved the milestone. I just want to make sure that I do everyone justice who came before me and then for the future, hopefully the future Aboriginal people that become school captains and prefects and stuff like that, I hope that they, I've like made a good pathway for them to excel. The proud Goreng Goreng and Gubby Gubby girl was also a junior school captain, never letting history get in the way of her dream. I think the school would have been ready for an Aboriginal person to be captain earlier. I would just say I was just very fortunate to be the first one. The school's principal says she will inspire others to dream big. It certainly gives an opportunity for somebody to be ambitious and to say that I can do it. I'm more interested about the little girl that's sitting in year seven that's looking up at her and thinking, do you know what, maybe I could be that person. New leadership for the years ahead. Karen Cox, NITV News. There are plenty of budding golfers across the world who spend a lifetime perfecting their game. Just three years after taking up golf, the Northern Territory's Sky Lampton appears destined for success. This year, she's become the first Aboriginal woman from Northern Territory to play at the Australian Amateurs Championship. This cross-country sport has become a consuming passion for Sky Lampton. I play this every week, every day. Well, I'm even at home, as I have like a little putting station. Putting is a challenge, but the 27-year-old has no problem clearing the fairways, recently scoring a hole-in-one. I like to drive the ball, and I drive it miles past everyone, and that's in a, in a lovely way. Living and working in Darwin, Sky Lambton has been playing competitions for three years now. With a powerful swing and dedication, she's turned this weekend hobby into a career opportunity. So in the female ranks, I believe there's been about five other females that have gone to the Australian Amateurs, but Sky is the first female Aboriginal person to represent the NT. She's putting herself in a position now where High Performance Australia is looking at her and she's going to be, you know, potentially open to uh, putting herself um, in opportunities which will help develop her game and who knows, the sky's a limit for Sky. It's a huge achievement for the Dargaman, Waterman and Gurindji woman who grew up in regional Catherine, about three and a half hours from the Northern Territory's capital of Darwin. It's a lovely town, very small. Half the population there is my family somehow. And then the other half are family friends. They're all very proud. They're, they all they don't understand golf, which is understandable. They think it's an old man's sport. This is an opportunity to break down one of the barriers to entry um, and to give them that chance to come and enjoy the game. She says having Aboriginal players like Sky Lambton move into the national spotlight will help to grow numbers. We all want to win, but at the end of the day, we're just coming out here to have fun. The young golfer hopes to inspire more Aboriginal women and girls to get involved. Letitia Lemke, NITV News. 
The Sydney Festival premiered a first in 2023, showcasing its first full-length dance work in Darug language. The all-female performance is a celebration of the power and resilience of Darug matriarch. It's a significant song cycle about where freshwater meets saltwater. The female-led cultural performance is the first of its kind to be sung entirely in Darug language. It's really important for us women to be singing in language and singing our songs ourselves when we dance and when we perform ceremony. For those who have been dancing with the company since its founding in 2008, it's a milestone that strengthens their connection to culture. It's a big part of culture and dancing and that's what connects us to lots of things, the land, each other, like stories, everything. With the adding of this language and the music and the dance and mm. the cultural significance of these dances and stories, it's just like... It Moulds it, it all. Yeah, it makes yeah. it so much stronger. The composition, Gary Garang Badu, has been more than two years in the making. Final preparations are underway in the lead-up to its debut as part of the Sydney Festival. The World First is being produced, rehearsed and performed on Darug Country in what is a celebration of strength and resilience for one of Australia's most renowned matriarchal dance clans. It's really special to do this for the first time on Darug Country in Barramatta, where the salt water meets the fresh water, at the old government house, reclaiming our places back and our spaces. Harnessing the power of dance to strengthen one of the world's oldest surviving languages. Emma Calloway, NITV News. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai. And up next, I speak with Jade Dolman, a.k.a. Jade Penanga, in a conversation with NITV about her first ever solo exhibition, Boy Biddy, at the Blank Wall Studio in Borloo, Perth. Yama, I'm Nairi Pakai and we're joined today by an incredible artist colouring Perth and the surrounding areas with culture, Jade Dolman, who will tell us a little more about her first solo exhibition coming up in just about a week. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. It's exciting to be on here. So I just want you to introduce yourself to the audience. What's your name? Who's your mob? My name's Jade Dolman. My artist name is JD Penanga. My mob on my mum's side is Nyunga, where Wajak and Daodong. And on my dad's side, I'm Aranda, um, east of Alice Springs. Um, so that's where I get the Penanga from, my skin name, um, from my artist name. And yeah, I've got my solo exhibition coming up this week, which is super exciting. So your solo exhibition is called uh, Boy Biddy, Smoke Trails. Um, The name somewhat clues us in on what it's about, but can you tell us more of the story of the exhibition? What kinds of things will people see and experience? Yeah, so um, the the title of my exhibition is Boy Biddy, Smoke Trails, and this came about really organically. I didn't plan it. I had been trying to come up with a theme for my exhibition for months, like, almost a year and nothing really came up or like I would change my mind constantly. Whereas I, on my first day in the gallery, um, I had a month of residency before my exhibition and I started painting the walls 
and I just created this like gray, like a gray river all the way around. And I was like, I don't know why, why I want to do this. I just felt really drawn to that. And then after a day, I like sat back and I'm like, what is this? Like, what is it telling me? And then I realized it's like smoke. It's like a big smoke trail around the whole room. And then I was like, sat and reflected on like what smoke means to me. And it's like cleansing. It like marks the end of a chapter, but also the beginning. And in like Western culture, death or the end of something is like fear. Like we don't want things to end. Whereas in my culture, it also represents the beginning of a new cycle. So yeah, I thought that was really fitting for especially coming into the new year. And 2023 was a bit of a dud year for me personally. And a lot of things ended Whereas 2024 is like a new beginning and there's lots of lots of new things to come. Like I've planted lots of seeds. So I feel like smoke really reflects that or like how I, how I am in my life at this stage. And also just smoke is cleansing. You know, we have like smoking ceremonies at the beginning of events or before we have like big conversations or family time. It helps to bring us together. And I yeah, like smoke embodies so many different things so I, I just thought it was a the perfect theme for this because the artworks that I'm doing in my exhibition are a lot of them are things I've done many many years ago some of them are unfinished paintings from like eight years ago and some of them were finished but I just never really felt like I was ready to do anything with them and now I've been able to come back like eight years later and collaborate with my younger self on all of these paintings and like some of them, I I was worried I would I was going to ruin the background or something that I had done, which is like something that every artist goes through. I think like just being able to be confident and brave and sometimes like take risks with your paintings, whether or not it ruins it, you can always paint over it again. Some of them are like a bit cringe <laughs> of like how my I could see how my hand was like so shaky and all my lines are like really wobbly, whereas now I'm like I actually love that. I love that it shows like my progress and like where I started and then where I am now. This is your first solo exhibition, yes? And yes. have you done any gallery stuff before? Not really. Like I I have had this weird relationship with canvases and like small scale work for the last maybe five years and I've just kind of like steered away from anything like that. So I, I've, I've been a part of like uh, some group shows many, many years ago, but it was kind of just like if I had something lying around at that point, then it kind of went in there. Mm. Whereas this is so, so different from that. Like I've really put in everything into this and this is like very much J.D. Penanga and the stories that I want to tell in the way that I want to tell it. So, yeah, this really feels like the first kind of experience I've ever had with any sort of gallery. Oh, yes. So for the people at home listening, um, Jade does murals, large-scale murals, um, like some of these on the side of buildings. Uh, I saw the Wellington Dam lookout, the Wellington Dam in Perth, not near Dubbo, um, and a basketball court that was such a large scale. Uh, I saw the video of that and there were air shots of it. Um, do you have a team that you rely on to get these large scale works done or do you do engagement with the community? What does 
large-scale murals look like? Yeah, every project is different, I guess. Like, some of them I'm lucky enough to be able to get, like, the community in to come and help. Um, For really large-scale stuff like the basketball court, I sourced the team out through people that I knew or people that were, like, other Aboriginal artists in Perth that maybe hadn't done a mural before. I just wanted some more work experience or Mm. exposure. And then, yeah, I would invite them to come along and just spend, like, a day or a week painting with me and I would just, like, like teach them some things about the materials and stuff. So, um, yeah, I always really love having company doing work because it can be really lonely if you're spending, like, weeks on your own without talking to anyone, just painting, like, eight hours a day. So, yeah, it's really cool to have company and have people to hang out with. So I, I always do love having a team to paint with. Um, I used to have, when I started out, I was a lot slower at painting, so a team was really helpful, whereas I think I've gotten, with experience, I've gotten a bit faster mm. and more muscle memory, so I'm able to do paintings a lot quicker. So I kind of, if it's under, like, maybe 20 metres, I can probably do it on my own, but if it's more than that, then I'll probably look at getting a team. Welcome back. And now for the second part of our interview with J.D. Penunga, where she shares more about her support from online and reflecting on her artistry over the years. Social media has also been a a powerful tool in sharing your art and getting so much love and attention uh, through that. What was the moment that made you realise that you could do this scale of artwork? Was there a first thing or an aha moment where you're like, I can do this as a career? Yeah, you know, actually, I was thinking about this before and there's so many, there were so many moments along the way, like the first time for everything was like, what? <laughs> Someone wants my art? Like, that's crazy. But I think when I, I, I first um, posted paintings on my like personal Facebook page, um, maybe like almost 10, 10 years ago or maybe more, and People were like, wow, that's so great. And then one one day, um, NITV Facebook page shared one of my artworks and it like got heaps of likes and heaps of comments. And I was like, wow, maybe maybe I should set up my own like business Facebook page just like for fun and just post things that I do. Like I wasn't intending to start it as a business. So yeah, I put that up and then people were like, I just had, I don't know, I remember having my first 50 followers and I was like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> and then I was just like posting, posting all the little paintings that I was doing and it got like a little bit of traction. And then one day someone, um, uh, an organization asked if I wanted to like try to paint a mural at a childcare center. And that was the very first mural that I ever did. And that was about eight years ago now. And yeah, I just remember, like, being terrified and, <laughs> like, so anxious to start. Like, I don't know how to paint a mural. Like, what am I doing? But I'm always just, like, throw myself in the deep end and just, like, just figure it out on the way and just, like, winging it. That's kind of my style of life. So, I yeah, I just did that and it all worked out. And I was like, this is actually really fun. But I still didn't think there was like I could ever have a career as a mural artist. Mm. And honestly, I only realized that after doing murals for like 
four years or something at that point. And I was like, maybe this is my job. Like, I kept thinking this is just buying time until like I get a proper nine to five job, like everyone else. But then, yeah, it's, there's actually a lot of work. And like once once you kind of have a portfolio out there and you've got like momentum and you kind of get more known in the community and like with what you do. So you've done like a wide range of different work too. Like it's not just murals. You've got installations and you've done collaborations, a carpet I saw, the rug, and it was really big and winding. I thought it was the floor, but I realised there were posts around it. Um, I want to know what are your most interesting stories there, but also is there anything that after doing having these experiences, making these different types of work, is there something that you want to do next other than your exhibition? <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard. Okay, well, the first thing, that rug, um, that was a really cool, like that was maybe the first like non-wall uh, thing that I did. And that was cool because I was able to design it as like six puddles that were connected and each one was a different Noongar season. So like as you walk across the floor through the rug, you like follow a year all the way around. That was really cool to try with a different medium. I did really like that one. And um, yeah, there's been a few collaborations. Like one really big highlight in my art career was collaborating with Adnate, mm-hmm. who's an artist from Melbourne and he does like insane portraits and a lot of the subjects are Aboriginal people and he um, the collaboration we did in Perth was of my little cousin and that was really special to to be able to like have it so personalised and just to work with him and like I don't know his network <laughs> he's just really cool and he's just such a normal person but that was like wow anything's possible because I used to idolise him like he was my favourite mural artist when I was younger and then he reached out to me to collaborate I'm like wow that's really really cool so yeah it showed me that literally anything is possible like set the bars high as you can and just go for it but as for looking into the future I haven't thought too much about it um I have like lots of lots of little ideas and things and like some rough concepts I guess I'm still figuring out exactly what I want to do and I'm also not really the type of person that plans out years in advance (laughs) I just kind of go with the flow and I'm just constantly checking in with myself every few months I'm like am I happy with the direction I'm going in or like do I feel like I'm doing it for me is my passion still as strong as it was before like and then kind of changing things and like maybe changing the type of jobs that I'm taking on to make sure that I'm always aligned with my goal and like yeah what I really enjoy and what what my purpose is so I don't know as long as I'm like kind of keeping myself in check that's all I'm happy with but with this exhibition I mean it's such a huge thing to like have all this space and you can express yourself however you want like it's very daunting Mm. So your exhibition, Boy Biddy, Smoke Trails, I'm assuming uh, Boy Biddy is the word for smoke trails. I wanted to know the reasoning of titling your words in language. What is the language that is being used? And um, 
and also with your name. Like, what's the power of using language? Yeah, I mean, language is so important. Like, language really grounds me, and I think it's a big part of my identity is being Nunga and Aranda, and using that. I don't know. It's like it really just feels like home, and it's something to be constantly defined by, like your colonizer's language. I like it's it's really sucks that we have to do that, and I think it's yeah, it's just so important for us to like reconnect, decolonize, and use the language that we're meant to be using and the language that's actually from this land. So I never hesitate to like title something in Nyunga or um, use the Nyunga language rather than English. So, yeah, the, the language of the exhibition is in Nyunga, which is from my mum's family in Perth. And Ui is the word for smoke, which is also the same word for long neck turtle, which is pretty cool. And I have a, a little piece that's a long neck turtle in the exhibition. And then Bidi is like tracks or pathways. So my, my cousin helped me put them together to have one word, boy Bidi, which means smoke trails. It sounds so special. And I wish I was in Perth to be able to see it, but I'll settle for looking at it online. I wanted to thank you for coming on and speaking with NITV Radio and sharing your story with us today. Um, yeah, and so much. Before you go, I just want to know uh, where can everyone find you and uh, where's the exhibition at? Yes, so my Instagram is jdpananga, which is J-D-P-E-N-A-N-G-K-E. That's my Facebook and my Instagram page. You can follow me there. And the actual exhibition is at Blankwall Studio, 268 Lord Street in Perth on the 12th of January, this Friday at 7pm. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. That was artist and Nunga woman, JD Penanga from Borloo, Perth, talking with me at NITV Radio. And that's all we have for today's program. You can listen back to the program anytime online or catch any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back on Friday for more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Nori Pakai, and thanks for listening. We send you off with this last song.